This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Let's pray. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we pray that your words would not simply bounce off us, but would change us. Uh, that we would be transformed within, so that people can see that we are transformed on the outside, for the glory of your great name. Amen. Now, I want to begin today by asking you a very personal question. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? In his recent book, The Second Mountain, uh, New York Times columnist uh, David Brooks says, our society has become a conspiracy against joy. That's pretty, uh, pretty strong words, aren't they? Conspiracy against joy. I think this is because we've emphasised pleasure and status as the paths to a fulfilled life. But these things are sticky traps that end, us, end up making us sad. We now live amongst an epidemic of anxiety and depression. According to Beyond Blue, in a 12-month period, some 2 million Australians will experience anxiety, not just being worried a little bit, but genuine, uh, diagnosable anxiety. If you are anxious or depressed, it isn't just you. It's the times we live in. Former US President Teddy Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy. But we've never been more aware of what the person next to us has or is experiencing. According to research published by the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, I really want you not to think I actually subscribe to such a journal, but 12% of our thoughts involve some kind of comparison with others. And we've lost the ability, therefore, to cultivate joy in our lives. We don't know how to find it. Now, I've been trying to think how many people I know are genuinely joyous. And apart from toddlers on good days and puppies, I really don't know many. Now, last week we began a series on what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And it'd be good for you to catch up, if you can, on the, pod, on the podcast or listen on our website to that uh, first uh, in our series on the fruit of the Spirit because it kind of makes sense of everything that comes after it. But we began with the first fruit of the Spirit, which was love. Today we're looking at the second of Paul's great list in his letter to the Galatians of the fruit of the Spirit. And the second of these fruit is joy. Paul expects that Christians will be about cultivating these fruits in our lives. And this fruit, joy. In another place, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We looked at it in my Connect group last Wednesday. Had a great time thinking about what that might mean. We should not be those without joy. Christians should be those who know joy. So what, what is this joy and how can I have it even in the midst of a society which is a conspiracy against joy? Well, you might remember that last week I said that the fruit of the Spirit are all qualities of God that he invites us to share. Is that true of joy? Does God have joy? Is that what you immediately think of when you think of the holy, wise God? Do you think of him having joy? 
Well, the Bible tells us, yes, God is a God who delights and has joy. The God of the universe has delight, and he delights especially in two things. He delights in his creation, and he delights in the people that he has redeemed. We know that God has great joy in his creation, partly from looking at his creation, the extraordinary wit with which he has made the creation, the humorousness of some of the creatures that he made. This is a great passage in the book of Job, right at the end, chapters 38 to 42. If you want a great read, that's some of the finest writing in the whole Bible. He goes through all the animals. He says, how extraordinary, how silly is the ostrich, for example? Runs like the wind, but puts its babies on its eggs on the ground where they can be trodden on. How extraordinary is God? How creative he is in the world that he's made? But we know it too from Genesis. Because we know in that first chapter of the Bible, he stands back to survey what he has made and calls it very good. And then gives him a, himself a day off in which to enjoy his work. In fact, the book of Job also says that at the moment of creation, there was a time when all the angels of heaven sang for joy. But God has particular joy in his people. In Psalm 147, we read, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior, but the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And the prophet Zephaniah says, chapter 3, he says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. This is great. But will rejoice over you with singing. God's people make himself rejoice, make him rejoice. Rejoice to the point that he is singing. And he takes particular delight in us when we take delight in him. He delights especially in our delight in him. Now, Jesus, too, shows this divine joy in God's people. In Hebrews chapter 12, we hear that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus was so dedicated to us, to you and me. He so wanted to rejoice in us that he went to his death for us. When he teaches his disciples the command to love one another, in John chapter 15, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. His joy is in his people, in us. Jesus gives his divine joy to his people through his command to love. When they love one another, they will know his joy. And so then, the, the joy that you and I are to pursue is the joy that belongs to God himself. The joy that makes God sing with rejoicing. And from God's joy, we learn two important things. We learn, firstly, that joy is found in other people. And second, that joy involves hope. Joy is found in other people and joy involves hope. John Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, once said that hell is other people. But that's not the Bible's view. True joy is found in other people. For this reason, a narcissist can't conceive 
of joy. Or we can have pleasure as individuals, but not joy. We most enjoy the world when we have someone to enjoy it with. And our deepest joys are found when we forget ourselves and are absorbed in others. Helen Keller once said, joy often involves self-forgetting. And David Brooks, who we heard earlier, said that our society is a conspiracy against joy, says that joy animates people who are not obsessed with themselves, but have given themselves away. In joyful people, there is a lightness of being, isn't there? Because they have given away self-obsession. Now, David could have been, David Brooks could have been talking about the Apostle Paul, who himself was copying Jesus in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Even though he's writing from his prison cell with his dreams and plans in tatters, he's overflowing with joy. Because he has joy in the Philippians to whom he's writing his letter. He, he calls them, he says, you, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And Paul's joy comes from, first of all, delighting in Jesus Christ, God's joy in him, and then from his focus on others. He tells us, remember, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, this isn't a don't worry, be happy philosophy, right? This isn't some put on a happy face, fake it till you make it kind of way of thinking. If we can remember what God has done for us in Christ and that he delights in us, then we will rejoice in him. Joy is found in other people. It is bigger than just you. And joy involves hope. This is why the Bible can speak of having joy even in the midst of trouble and suffering. This idea, you know, is totally mind-blowing in our world in which we think that suffering is really the end of everything and that suffering removes us from all meaning, robs us of meaning and happiness and really we should just give up if we suffer. But can you imagine having a joy that cancer and divorce and poverty can't take from you. Paul has joy even in the midst of disappointment, pain and imprisonment. Peter, whose letter we heard read to us just, just before, says that we have a, an, an indescribable joy as a kind of imperishable treasure kept for us that nothing can take away from us. James says in his letter, consider it pure joy when you suffer all kinds of trials. Well, how is this possible? Because joy in God comes with hope. Because joy, joy knows the future and knows that the future rests in the joyful God, the God who delights in us. Joy is not dismayed and joy never despairs. True joy can weep as Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus. He can weep with sorrow, but joy comes with longing. Now, it's not the kind of longing of loss or the ache of something that's an appetite. Joy is a longing of eager anticipation. You know, when you're looking forward to something great, 
when you're looking forward to a fantastic meal or something something that you've really been looking forward to a concert that you've been you've booked months and months ago and you can't you sometimes stop and think about it or and, and when you do that you sort of smile to yourself or is that just me you don't yet have it but you have the joy of it already in, in anticipation i i feel that way when I think about going to our, our beach house in January each year with the family, I, I stop in the midst of what I'm doing and I think, yeah, yeah, that'll be great. I'm really looking forward to that. I have some of that joy already. Joy anticipates joy. And this makes it possible for you and I to have joy even when we suffer, even when we're anxious. If you have joy in God, you have a different outlook. And that means that you can have an unassailable joy. Now, as I said last week, these fruit don't automatically appear in Christians, these fruit of the Spirit. And so you and I need to cultivate them. And this includes joy. There is a joy available for us if only we will cultivate it, if only we will work to make it appear in our lives. If only we will be a little deliberate about it. There's a joy available for us that's a gift from God himself. The great writer C.S. Lewis said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Infinite joy is on offer for you and me in Jesus Christ. But are you too easily pleased in the way that Lewis suggests? If you want to cultivate joy then, the first thing you need to do is some gardening. You need to do some weeding. There are many things in your life that can rob you of your joy, and you need to remove them as much as you can. We already heard from Theodore Roosevelt, who said comparison is the thief of, the thief of joy. Well, certainly envy of others will rob you of your joy. Looking over the back fence will only make you miserable. Excessive debt will rob you of your joy. We are a nation totally addicted to crushing debt and it sits, hovers over us like a dirty great cloud and it will rob you of your joy unless you manage it. Being stingy will rob you of your joy. Unresolved conflict and broken relationships will rob you of your joy. Not looking after your physical health, the body that God gave you, will rob you of your joy. A person without sleep and with unmanaged stress will not be joyful. Sleeping around will rob you of your joy. Laziness and workaholism will rob you of your joy. Keeping your burdens to yourself, not sharing them with others, not taking them to God, will rob you of your joy. Forgetting to be thankful will rob you of your joy. 
Isolating yourself from others deliberately will rob you of your joy since joy is found in others. If you desire to have infinite joy, if that sounds appealing, well, the joy of God, the joy that we should cultivate, then you need to do some some gardening, some weeding. What all these things do is to turn ourselves in on ourselves, to give us a sort of incurvature of the self. That was Martin Luther's phrase. They remind us constantly of ourselves. They keep us from having wonder, gratitude and hope. And so above all, if you want to have joy, you need to give yourself away. You need to let yourself go. Not in the way that we normally use that phrase. But like a hot air balloon, a helium balloon, let release yourself. This is, after all, the way of Jesus Christ himself, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto as his right, but made himself nothing, and taking the form of a servant, lived among us and was obedient, obedient to death, even death on the cross, for the joy that was held before him of saving his people. So get rid of the things that will rob you of your joy, especially your self-obsession, and instead pursue God and his people. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by praising God and by serving others. By praising God and serving others. We praise God when we, we've done it already. We, when we gather here together because we are rejoicing in him and what he has given us. We don't do it just because we're trying to fill up an hour. We don't do it because we always have. We don't do it because we just like music. We do it because our Heavenly Father delights in our praises. is most delighted when we delight in him. Because our Heavenly Father himself sings for joy out of his delight for us. We put praise of God to music because we want to feel joy in God. We want our delight to be in him. When you open your heart to engage in the praise of God, you are practicing for divine joy. You are standing with others and reminding yourself and reminding them of our hope in here, in him. I have to say that our subculture, a little bit Anglo-Saxon, a little bit Eastern suburbs, very Anglican, sometimes restricts us here, doesn't it? Can we be a bit honest about that? We Anglicans pride ourselves on being a little bit aloof and rational about our faith. Being rational and thoughtful about our faith is a pretty good thing to be. But we would hate, wouldn't we? We'd hate to be thought of as fanatics more than anything. That'd be terrible. The worst kind of social death. What would people think if we got a little bit too enthusiastic, if we showed a little bit too much joy? And yet are we letting our diffidence, our culture, stifle the joy we ought to have in God? When King David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he danced with all his might before the Lord. Can you imagine Queen Elizabeth doing the same? 
God bless her. This was the king. And one of his wives looked out and said, oh, how undignified. And David said, I don't care about dignity. This is the Lord I'm praising here. I'm delighting in what God has done. We would certainly be a more joyful community in our worship of the God who delights in us. I think if we realised or thought about what we are doing. So practice, realise what we're doing when we're praising God and let your joy be evident. And serve others. You know, the greatest antidote to self-obsession is just humble service of others. It's the greatest antidepressant ever invented. It's important, possibly, to get counselling. It's important to see experts. It's important to manage our, our souls in that way. But serving others takes your focus off yourself. It makes Paul smile, even when he's in prison, locked away, not able to reach those he loves, not able to do what he thinks God has in store for him. So serve others. Just humbly serve them. Be here for them. What do others need? Who are they? How can I, can I get to know them and understand them? Just listen to them. Focus on them. How can I see Jesus in them? What can they teach me? The selfish reason to be more selfless is that it will nurture your joy. The selfish reason to be more selfless is that it will nurture your joy. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. The serious business of heaven. Oh, I love that. My prayer today is that you and I won't see joy as an option or an impossibility, but as an accessible necessity that you and I won't settle for anything less. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St. Mark's.